You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. everybody to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. You can always send an email to the show at Locked On Vikings podcast at gmail.com. Please send me your questions because Twitter Tuesday is tomorrow. And you can also join the Locked On Vikings community on Discord. Link for that is in the show notes. And today there is a little bit of news to talk about. It is also Mock Draft Monday, so we got a Mock Draft coming. They're getting harder and harder because I'm trying to pick different players every single time, so the pool gets uh, thinner and thinner every week. So it, they're starting to get a little bit interesting. But first, I want to talk about... The Vikings are reported at least to be bringing in a new defensive backs coach. If you remember, Durante Jones, the D-backs coach from last year, only a one-year wonder with the Vikings, and then he goes off to LSU. Uh, And so the Vikings picked a guy back from the college ranks, you know, leave a penny, take a penny, leave a DB coach, take a DB coach. Uh, They took Chris Scott from Alabama, of all places, which is a a really interesting pick uh, for a bunch of reasons. Most of them are like pretty exciting. So Chris Scott, He's not dripping with a lot of experience. He's a fairly young coach, um, but and, and most of his experience hasn't been like in one place. You know, you get, oh, this guy's been in one college for 10 years. They must He's been through a number of places, Delta State, Tusculum, Southeastern Louisiana, Louisiana Tech. Uh, and, and then Texas Tech for a couple of years, and then he joined Bama in 2018. That's a number of, of different places and environments. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it is a relatively short list for coaching candidates. You know, by the time you get to be a position coach in the NFL, usually those guys have a little more experience. I'm not too worried about it, though, because there, there's a couple things that I think are really, really interesting about this hire. One is that it's Alabama. It's a Nick Saban guy. And if you know the, the schematic things that Nick Saban tends to do and the schematic things that Mike Zimmer tends to do, they're really similar. So this to me is, is a puzzle piece fit. It's very, very good. And I'll explain more about what I mean by that. But but for the simplest take, you can kind of the, the elevator take the dim, dinner table reason you can say if you want to talk with your friends about why you like this hire is that it's a scheme fit. Basically, that's the, the most oversimplified way to put it. And I'll get more in depth as to what I mean by that. Um, but it's a, a really interesting fit. And uh, the other thing is that it's Alabama. Of course, you know, Nick, Nick Saban's staffers are always going to come with a certain level of prestige, which is another part of why the whole like lack of experience thing doesn't bug me like all that much, because, you know, I don't usually love appealing to authority. But hey, man, if Nick Saban liked the guy, it can't be that bad, right? Uh, and the other thing is that there's a, a couple of defensive backs coming out of Alabama into the NFL draft this year that suddenly become really interesting names. Patrick Sertain the second. That's the biggest one. Uh, he's a cornerback that I admittedly have not looked too deep into. I've seen him go top 10 in a lot of mocks. Um, but if he does end up falling to the Vikings, then that becomes something that is, is like a much more 
likely outcome. And we'll talk at a much later date here on this show about whether or not it would be good to take a corner in the first round and stuff like that. Spoiler alert, I think it would be a, a plenty smart idea. Uh, very few years where I don't think taking a corner is a smart idea. So as an aside, like I've never been too bothered by Mike Zimmer's take a corner in the in the first round a lot kind of thing. It's been like basically every other year in the first or second round. Like I, I'm, I've never been too bugged by that just because, I mean, you need three starters, right, at cornerback, like three starting quality players. So like it's a, it's a position that often needs to be filled. And it's an incredibly important position, especially if you want to take a, a lesson out of the Super Bowl. Carlton Davis was shut down every single game in those playoffs, and they went to the Super Bowl as a fifth seed. If you want to pull that off, you got to be able to shut down Devontae Adams and Michael Thomas, and Tyree Kill, and although they did a lot of that with like deep safety stuff. And I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is uh, that taking a cornerback becomes at least a little more likely in the event that it is specifically Patrick Sertain. And that's really interesting. And honestly, it's even more interesting if he's on the board and the Vikings pass on him because either, you know, the new cornerbacks coach got uh, or the new D-backs coach got overruled, which like, sure, or he didn't like the guy as uh, an NFL cornerback and, you know, who would know better? So that would be also a very interesting thing to analyze. But the point is something to keep in, in mind on draft weekend to see if maybe that influences the picture or not. But the other thing is the schematic match that Chris Scott offers by by taking a Saban guy. And I'm going to assume that much like Kevin Stefanski, who you know was in a lot of systems, but then he took the Gary Kubiak one over to Cleveland because that was the one that kind of gave him the most success. I'm going to guess that a lot of the Nick Saban principles are going to come with Chris Scott over to the Vikings, or at least you, you can have some confidence that he has familiarity with those systems because this is the, the systems that Nick Saban runs and a lot of the communication and a lot of the principles and kind of the way that they organize their reads work the same way in the, for the Alabama Crimson Tide that they do for the Minnesota Vikings under Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer has always used a, a lot of those concepts. And I'm going to explain uh, some of the ins and outs of that. And I've actually been waiting for an excuse to kind of talk about the idea of match coverage, so like pattern matching, the Rip Liz D defense kind of stuff. This is a, a, a Zimmer staple, and it's something that he begrudgingly couldn't do. Um, I, I don't think he ever talked about it like on a press conference, but he kind of hinted that like, oh, we can't do the things we usually want to do because of, you know, the youth at corner. And, you know, we were, he, he kind of felt hamstrung all year because they didn't have a preseason. And so these corners coming out of, uh, you know, other college systems who needed to learn the Vikings way of doing like pattern matching and stuff and the way that they kind of delineate responsibilities to cornerbacks. Well, they couldn't install that nearly as effectively with no preseason. So they had to transition to simpler coverages. Those simpler coverages were easier to beat. And therefore you kind of had this ceiling on how good your, your defense could be all year because you couldn't do the, the, the defensive tricks, I guess, and not tricks, but the defensive uh, alignments and strategies that are pretty proven to be the optimal thing to do in the NFL, but you need to have the horses to do them or else it falls apart, which is what Jacksonville did. And if you actually, uh, if you were here by chance during the preview of the Jacksonville game, that was basically my point was that they tried to run a lot of kind of straight up man coverage. They didn't have the corners to do it and everybody would get big, deep, uh, passes on them. That's kind of why they went one in 15. So what is match coverage? What are these principles? What does it actually mean? And what do Chris Scott and Nick Saban and Mike Zimmer all have in common here? That's what we're going to talk about uh, up for the, the next part of the show. And then, of course, we'll talk about Mock Draft Monday as well. But first, 
how did you guys do on your Super Bowl props? Because I personally did horrible, except the one. I got Rob Gronkowski, first touchdown scorer, plus 1,200, and that paid for all the other losses that I took. Uh, but let me know if you if you had a, a good beat, a bad beat, I, I, send it to me you know, at, at Locked On Podcast, Locked On Vikings Podcast at gmail.com, at Luke Braun NFL on Twitter, at Locked On Vikings. I want to know. It'd be kind of fun. If you are looking for where you can bet on sports, and sports are not over, football is over for a little while, but you still have college basketball. You still get the masters coming up and all that stuff. If you want to bet on all that stuff, head on over to betonline.ag. You can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code locked on for your 50% welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Don't forget to use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we got the Vikings covered. Maybe you even listen to Locked On NFL, and on Tuesdays you can find me on there as well. But what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered everywhere with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski and all the sports you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get podcasts. So now I want to take you a little bit into the schematic weeds. So defense in the NFL, the way we usually talk about it is between man and zone. And I'm talking about coverage right now. So uh, man-to-man coverage, I I have number 18, and I'm going to cover him no matter where he goes. It's my responsibility to make sure he doesn't catch the ball, right? That's man-to-man coverage. Zone coverage is you have a zone, right? You go back, you, this is my landmark. I've got from the hash to the sideline, from this yard line to that yard line. And if anybody comes in there, it's my job to cover them. And if the ball comes there, it's my job to break the pass up. You watch the quarterback's eyes, you break on the ball. That's landmark zone. That's actually what Todd Bowles did a lot in the Super Bowl here, which is interesting. I'm not a huge fan of landmark zone, but it worked really well against those Chiefs. But again, I digress. Let's take you into the uh, the 1990s Cleveland Browns. I think in 1991, Bill Belichick was the head coach of the Browns. This is before his Patriots time, and Nick Saban was the defensive coordinator. So in that room, you had what I think are widely regarded as two of the best defensive minds to ever grace the game of football under the same roof coaching the Cleveland Browns. And they were a pretty good team during that time. They would make the playoffs. They would be kind of in the thick of it. They were pretty good, but they had this Steelers problem. They'd play the Steelers twice a year, and the Steelers would kill them. And the reason for that had to do with the defense that they were running. Their kind of base defense was cover three. Very similar to what we see in the NFL today, actually, because time is a flat circle. (laughs) And uh, basically, they would play cover three. They'd have three deep zones. And there was a weakness in cover three with three deep zones, which is what if you send four deep receivers, right? And you have everybody outnumbered. So the Steelers would do that. They would run what we know as four verts. They called it Seattle back then. Uh, And a lot of times, one guy would be up the seam. So you would have, you know, your cornerback playing the deep third on like the left sideline. You'd have a safety deep third in the middle and a cornerback deep third and right. And then you'd have somebody go up right up the hash mark, kind of between that middle and that sideline zone. And you would be able to usually find a lot of space there and get a bunch of big plays and the Steelers would do that and they could not figure out the Steelers. So they sat down and said, we got to figure this out. And I think Nick Saban has a great quote that says, yeah, when Marino's throwing it, that'll break on the ball stuff doesn't work. It's, you know, insight we never really had much question about, right? When you're up against an elite quarterback, you can't exactly just drop into a a soft zone and hope you break on the ball. They're going to throw it too fast. They're going to throw it too accurately. They're going to pick you apart. And part of that is just if you only have seven, maybe even eight guys in coverage, you can't cover the whole field. You can't give a guy, you can't use seven zones and cover all of the grass there is, right? There's just too much real estate. So somewhere there's going to be a conflict, somewhere there's going to be some some spacing issues, there's going to be some way for you to pick that apart. And by that point, 
offenses were figuring this out. So you needed a new way to do this. If you wanted to just play man-to-man, and Nick Saban goes on to say this, but we didn't have the players to play man-to-man, like you weren't going to line up against Michael Irvin and actually beat him one-on-one. You needed something that kind of helped to get the matchup and not give him the tricks of the release and, and not give them access to certain route concepts and stuff in the way that zone coverage would, but without the spacing issues that zone coverage had, specifically up the seams with the number two receiver, the slot receiver would go up the seam, or sometimes it'd be the tight end would go up the seam, and it would crush all of these cover threes. So they came up with the idea of pattern matching, which is basically to say, it depends on uh, man match or zone match, but the idea is you go through some level of rules where that dictates who you actually cover. So instead of being told before the snap, I got number 14, 14's my guy, you say, I got, you know, the second guy in, whoever runs that route, or I got whoever comes through this shallow part of the zone, and you would still play zone, but once a guy came into your zone, you had a man-to-man and you'd play man technique. So now, say you're in cover three and they have four verts dialed up, where you would have, uh, you know, three deep defenders, they would have four deep receivers, but if you're playing a match uh, zone, then a fourth guy would carry one of those verticals deep and you would suddenly have the four deep deep receivers. And if that doesn't happen, then you only have three deep and you don't have to like take the safety out of the box, which is what cover three is kind of good at is being able to have that safety in the box to help with underneath stuff with the run game and all that stuff. You can kind of have the best of both worlds. And that's basically what Nick Saban has done for the last like 25 years, variations on that kind of idea. In man match, it is, uh, you count from the outside usually. So the out, outermost receiver on your side is the one. The next guy in, let's say the slot receiver is the two. And the next guy in, let's say there's the tight end. That's the three. And that's it. So you say, I've got the two. And if, if the uh, outside receiver and the slot receiver switch in the middle of the route for whatever reason, if they cross each other, if it's some route concept where they run past each other, then you will pass those guys off like it's zone coverage. Um, and instead of trying to, you know, keep by each other, rub concepts won't work against this. Uh, and certain route concepts just kind of get hard countered by this because corners are playing man technique with zone principles. And then in zone match, it's roughly the same idea. But instead of saying, I've got the number two, it's I have whoever comes through my zone. So it's still some spacing stuff, but uh, it usually counters a lot of route concepts that would beat traditional landmark zones because you do end up carrying a guy. Now, the problem with this, as Sean McVay showed us a couple years ago, is sometimes if you can get, uh, you know, the linebacker responsible for number three and you make the number three a slot receiver, then suddenly you can have a linebacker responsible for a speedy slot receiver, send him down the field on a deep route and your linebacker is going to get burned. That's what Sean McVay did to Mike Zimmer those couple of years ago, and Zimmer had to make some changes there. That is, in mega oversimplified terms, essentially what pattern matching is. And then they also have certain concepts like the, the rip-liz concept, and all that means rip is right, liz is left, as you can probably guess. And it has a lot to do with how they spin the safeties. Uh, so you probably see this a lot. You see maybe they start with both safeties lining up deep, and then one kind of runs down into the middle at the last second, disguising that you actually were in a single high coverage the whole time, but a quarterback saw that you looked like you were in too high, might have made an adjustment or not made an adjustment based on that information, and then you spin it at the last second, and haha, got you, you were wrong. Um, the Zimmer gets a whole bunch of free sacks and interceptions on like young rookie quarterbacks that can't quite process that stuff very quickly, uh, doing that kind of stuff. That's why he's always been particularly good against 
against like inexperienced or quarterbacks that that have trouble processing very quickly. He makes it really difficult on quarterbacks in that way. Now again, couldn't do a lot of that in 2020 because a lot of this requires very specific communication because when say Anthony Harris comes down into the box, let's say he's on the right side, so he would yell Liz, which means everybody adjusts left. I'm coming in on the right, you all adjust left. So every linebacker then needs to know, okay, that means I went from this gap to this gap. All of your run assignments change, a lot of your passing assignments change, all in the kind of drop of a hat, and it's happening a split second before the snap. So you have to be intimately familiar with this. And if Zimmer doesn't trust that you have all that like down pat and that nobody will miscommunicate, this is what happened on a lot of miscommunications, is this kind of stuff. It's a very complicated thing. If one person messes up and goes the wrong way, it's a miscommunication. Jeff Gladney made this mistake a bunch of times. So you have to be very, very confident that everybody's going to have this down and rookies who didn't have a preseason, you weren't confident in it. So hopefully he can run more of it next year with these uh, corner, these young corners that have a little bit more of an, of an off season. You won't have to be relying on so many young players all season and, and things can kind of turn back around to what we understand Zimmer defenses to be. But I think it'll be really helpful to have a, a defensive backs coach that's intimately familiar with these concepts and will be able to integrate pretty quickly and hopefully help these young guys come along in that particular part of the system. It feels like a, a targeted hire at solving a problem that plagued the Vikings pretty bad. And I think that's kind of what you want out of an off-season coaching hire, I guess. It's very responsive, and I think it's something that even if it weren't a problem, it's a, it's a pretty good thing to emphasize. So we'll obviously see how all of it plays out. I thought Durante Jones did a really good job with the rookies considering their circumstances. I thought they came along really well, and the coaching has to have it has to get some credit for that with Durante Jones, and I guess Mike Zimmer too. Um, so let's hope that Chris Scott can kind of replicate that performance. And if you want to maximize your performance... It's time to talk about the best tasting protein bar ever. They're covered in 100% chocolate. They're these deliciously chewy, flavorful protein bars. They come in all kinds of awesome flavors. Banana bread is like the sneaky best one, but there's cookie cre cookies and cream, raspberry, German chocolate, peanut butter, kind of like whatever you like with your chocolate. There's a lot of variety, and it doesn't sound like you should be able to indulge in that kind of stuff if you're trying to lose or maintain weight, but this is a protein bar, which means it's high in protein, and it's high in fiber, low calorie, low sugar. It's even keto friendly. If you want to try that out for yourself, head on over to BuiltBar.com. You can use promo code LOCKEDON you get 20% off of your next order. That's promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. The Locked On Podcast Network has your Super Bowl recap covered from every angle. All depends on what you want. After this show, go listen to Locked On today for all the biggest storylines. You can go to Peacock and Williamson for the X's and O's and check out Locked On Chiefs and Locked On Bucks if you want to go in-depth on either side of things. All here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And another thing here on the Locked On Podcast Network, a little tradition we got, is Mock Draft Monday. So if you haven't been hanging around for all our Mock Draft Mondays, go listen to the uh, the third part of all the Monday episodes this is we're on week five of this now and the rules are we're not doing any trades yet we're just doing three rounds keeping it simple for now and i am picking different players every time so if i picked a player in a previous mock draft monday i do not have access to them now which really really messed me up this time because what we had picked in the past rayshon slater i was really into elijah vera tucker i took last week or gregory Rousseau was available i don't would have loved to take any of those guys but i've taken them in previous weeks so i had to go somewhere else i decided to stick with the offensive line thing even though there were some interesting ideas is around there. Uh, there was Joseph Osai. He's a linebacker. He's kind of a, a bar replacement. There's JC Horn. Um, I, I don't love his fit with the team. He's like a zone corner. He's a good press corner, but he's not a man match corner. And I don't think he fits with like specifically the Vikings very well. He might be good elsewhere though. 
and they just hired a D-backs coach from the like most famous man match program in the country. So maybe let's get a guy that's a little bit better at like playing off man coverage and, and kind of covering a little bit more straight up without the aid of press, which you don't always have access to. So instead, I was choosing between two of the offensive tackles on the board that I haven't taken yet. One is Samuel Cosme. He's from Texas, and he definitely fits the mold of a Vikings pick. He's going to get mocked to the Vikings a lot, and I don't love it. He f- he definitely fits the mold. He's a, he's a zone tackle. He's an offensive lineman, all the athleticism in the world. He can run around. He can do all that stuff. He fits what the Vikings like to do, but he's like undersized and struggles in pass protection. Doesn't that sound like every single Vikings offensive lineman they drafted in the last two or three years? And and I feel like it's time to move away from that a little bit, but I do think that he will be the guy for the Vikings in a lot of mock drafts, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him actually in purple, but I decided to go with somebody a little bit more reliable I guess. And I I really like this guy. If he's on the board, I would be slamming this table for him. It's Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech. He's a much more all-around type player for me. He's not so much uh, scheme versatile as he is scheme transcendent. There are guys who I would call scheme versatile, but they like maybe fit in one better than the other. Like my classic example of this was Will Hernandez from a few years ago, which a lot of Vikings fans have been kind of clamoring for, had been clamoring for, where he like is at his best in a man scheme. Like, I thought he was a first-round pick in a man scheme and a second-round pick in his own scheme. Like, he was okay in zone schemes, and, and he had the athleticism to work out in that, but there would be so much strength and power that you'd kind of be paying for to get him over other teams that want to use that power more, but you wouldn't be using it as much because of the scheme. You just wouldn't be asking him to do the thing he's best at. You'd be asking him to do the thing he's second best at, which is still fine, but a lesser value. And Christian Derisotomy doesn't doesn't land in that place. I think that he has the power to anchor in the in the pass game, and he can really, like, move people. He's got good, uh, good pass sets and all that stuff, and he can actually pass protect like a professional, and it's not like a a thing you got to work on. He's not like a quick lineman that you have to develop. Uh, He's somebody that could actually like start right away, work in space, get out there into the second level, do the things we ask him to do in a zone scheme very, very well. Not like, ah, just fine, but it's not his best thing and still move people if you ask him to do it. But very importantly, hold up in pass pro. So I love that you keep Ezra Cleveland at at tackle, you get rid of Riley Reef, do something like that, right? This would be in one of those situations where they end up uh, getting rid of Riley Reef and then you kind of have this, who do who plays tackle, who plays guard, whatever, we'll figure it out type thing. You've got enough players. Um, And so that's where I went in the first round. But we're doing three rounds here, which means we can wait all the way to pick 78, uh, where there were a whole bunch of interesting run stuffers on the board that I really would like. Uh, I I think that that was a huge problem for the Vikings and getting some beef up front, but they do get Pierce automatically. So I don't know if they necessarily need to get like a, a redundancy with Pierce. I don't think they need two Pierces, like one Pierce might be enough to help with that problem. And there's also a ton of wideouts. And there's there's a lot of wideouts on the board at this point. So I, what I was going to do is say, all right, let's take there's like six wide receivers that are interesting here in the third round. Let's see if any of them actually make it to 90. We only need to go 12 picks unless there's a huge run. One of these guys will still be available. So let's see which one it ends up being. So instead, I went with an edge rusher, Peyton Turner out of Houston. He's somebody that I thought could be a really interesting third round pick. He doesn't have a lot of of uh, explosion, but he's a very good, got very good technique. He's got loose hips. He's got 
reasonable bend. He's got good hand counters. He's not the type of like get off the ball crazy kind of thing. He's not like Everson Griffin. He doesn't win that way. Um, I think he wins a little bit more with some finesse. And he's got some good punch and all that stuff. And, and I think he's a, a, a pretty productive edge rusher. And I think he could come in and compete for a starting job right away, assuming there isn't some stu- some superstar in front of him. The deal with him is that he's like really green. He didn't play a lot of football in high school. And so he'd probably need a little bit of extra help. But again, we're giving this guy to Andre Patterson to mold. And I think it could work out. I would really like that kind of pick at pick 78. So then we simulate down to pick 90, and there end up being two wide receivers that I thought were interesting that were left after that little run, and I don't like either of them. There's Amari Rogers out of Clemson. There's Demetric Felton out of UCLA. Both of those guys are like these sort of Curtis Samuel. Some places might even list them as running backs. They're slot receiver types. And I like the idea of getting that sort of like gadget weapon or whatever, but I definitely don't want a slot receiver. The slot reps are already kind of uh, very pressured. They're very stressed between Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, both of whom are, you know, can can utilize the opportunities of the slot very well. That's a very strategically smart thing to do is put them there. And I don't want to add additional pressure. I don't want to incentivize the Vikings to do something else than that. So instead, I'm going to pivot and kind of take my, my lumps there. Okay, if you let six wide receivers go at pick 78, you might not necessarily have guys that you want Uh, down at pick 90, you might want to leave yourself a little bit of extra choice and make the decision while you still have it and, you know, maybe try to get an edge rusher later or something like that. Okay, lesson learned. Uh, So instead, let's pivot and let's take a cornerback. And here's a sub package corner. They kind of say he can't play slot. He's strictly an outside corner and he's strictly at kind of a, a two down corner only when you're in nickel uh, and, and, you know, you would have to have a guy like the Vikings have in Jeff Gladney that would play, uh, outside in two cornerback sets and then would move inside in the nickel. So the Vikings actually have a place for this player. Uh, and he played match zones. It's Keith Taylor out of the university of Wisconsin. They played a lot of the same stuff. He would be that sort of scheme fit. And then he's like this gangly press corner that is like this outside guy that can kind of take on those responsibilities, Um, and you don't need to ask him to be particularly versatile because the Vikings already have guys on their roster that they will ask to be that versatile, so I think it slots in very well. And as a third rounder, if you're getting somebody that could technically be a rotational player right away, I think that is a decent thing to target. So that's Mock Draft Monday for this week. Tomorrow, again, is Twitter Tuesday, so make sure you get your questions and you can send them to me at LukeBronNFL, at LockedOnVikings on Twitter. Either place is fine. You can email them to me at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com, or you can send them in discord there's also a google form and i'll link to all that stuff in the show notes uh however you want to get them to me i'm listening so send me your vikings questions and i'll answer them on the show tomorrow so i will see you all with that tomorrow and as always skull